Welcome to Devices and Desires. We're seeking a sacred world in a secular age. We're doing that by examining some of our culture's narratives, the stories it tells, stories about progress, happiness, uh, sustainability, and hope. And we're going to analyze those narratives, those stories, uh, expose some of the cracks in the stories that we're told. And then we're gonna look at what it means for the gospel to flourish from within a secular age in 2020. Uh, we're going to do that today by looking at a particular topic. Uh, it's something that maybe not everyone is into, but for the people who are into it, they know a lot about it. So the topic is Jordan Peterson. I'm Father Brian Wandell, and we have a group of three of us today to discuss the topic of this eminent speaker today. Uh, I'm at Church of the Atonement in Buffalo, New York. I have with me Father Andrew Tebow. Andrew, how you doing? I'm doing well, Brian. Thanks for uh, putting this together tonight. Excited for and our conversation. Andrew's at St. Bartholomew's Anglican Church in Tonawanda. And we also have a friend with us today, Joseph. And Joseph is with us because of his connection to reading, hearing about, being involved with the ideas of Jordan Peterson. Joseph, can you say hi to our listeners? Hey, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Good, good. I'm really excited for our guest today. Uh, Joseph has been involved with a lot of stuff related to Jordan Peterson, uh, reading groups, uh, as well as just his own kind of conversations, and, and it relates to his faith journey also. And so that's, that's part of why we're doing this, is because we're going to look at how this phenomenon of this person, Jordan Peterson, and the ideas that he has, relates to Christian faith and relates to uh, being truly human in this secular age today. It's really complicated. Uh, so let me just first start out here. Uh, listeners will know who Andrew and who I are, uh, who I am, but uh, they don't know who you are, Joseph. Can you tell us just a, a few brief words about who you are? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a young man in my 20s who recently was baptized into the Eastern Orthodox Christian Church last year. Um, and Jordan Peterson played a very significant role in breaking me out of the materialist worldview and making me think about uh, transcendent things, let's say. Which is, I would say, not the typical story that we hear uh, of young men being drawn to transcendent things, right? Uh, I think uh, m many, many, many pastors like Andrew and I will hear talk about how uh, young men are not drawn to those things, um, primarily drawn to the, the unholy trinity of beer, porn, and video games. Um, and so, <laughs> yeah. uh, so, I, so that's, that's actually, uh, you know, that's, that's one of those secular narratives that, that I want to undo a little bit here as we were talking. Yeah, so, well, uh, who, go ahead, Joseph. Well, yeah, I was going to say, I, I, uh, that unholy trinity um, was certainly present a lot in the, the milieu that I grew up in, which was basically the kind of place where I grew up thinking that anyone who believed in God uh, and or was opposed to abortion, homosexuality, etc., were um, primitive, uncultured heathens who were a detriment to society and were in dire need of uh, re-education, let's say. <laughs> that, that was, that's kind of the zeitgeist, right? So I, I was coming out of 
that's that's the the uh, environment that I'm coming out of. And did did you know any uh, like con- committed Christians when you were growing up of of any particular I, stripe? I knew uh, a couple who, a, a couple of people who called themselves Christian, um, both of whom were also uh, widely known in my school for being uh, avid fornicators. So, um, good, good. Yeah, <laughs> there wasn't. No, I never, I never really had uh, much exposure at all to Christianity, other than like whatever. Oh, so my father's Jewish, and I grew up around a lot of Jewish people. And I remember hearing that Jesus was a Jew. Um, <laughs> and that's about it. All right. Good to, good to know there was an accurate statement in there. Um, yeah. <laughs> before we get on to how this fits into your personal story, Joseph, um, yeah. can you kick, kick us off a little bit? We're, we're talking about this man, this professor at the University of Toronto, Jordan Peterson, I would say before like, what, four or five years ago, uh, I don't know anyone in the States who knew who he was or was talking about him. And then within like two years, it just just blew up. Uh, Can you you tell us a little bit about who he is or how that happened? Uh, Sure, sure. So what what happened, I mean, I found out about him as a result of his first Joe Rogan appearance. It's my sophomore year in college. I was cooking dinner, put a podcast on. I heard him speak, and I just remember thinking, this guy's actually talking about something that matters. <laughs> uh, huh. And not only that, but like from a quote-unquote conservative point of view, um, my the only other exposure I had to like conservative ideas was through Ben Shapiro, and he he's way he's, he's a lot shallower in comparison to what Peterson has to offer. Because Ben Shapiro, people like him, offer you a political program. Jordan Peterson tickles the spiritual quite a bit, uh, Mm. if not occasionally dipping his foot in those waters. Um, So I started, I grew up, like I said, in this hyper-liberal environment, but uh, you get to college and everything's deconstructed, including anthropology, gender itself, right? Men and women don't exist in the, anymore. Literally every cultural more we have is totally arbitrary. Every, it's just like everything uprooted and uh, scrutinized and destroyed. Right? So nothing is sacred or uh, beyond question. Right? Yeah. So, so uh, I got to, I get to college and I'd already seen some of this like SJW stuff in high school. The beginnings of it uh, with programs like No Place for Hate or something. Just like social engineering to, uh, I don't to prime people basically for further programming in college with all this stuff. And um, once I started hearing of many people deny the reality of male and female, like in particular that one got me. <laughs> I, I started listening more to the voice in my head that was telling me that they're wrong. Um, and there's a lot of other people around that like 2015 era time that. I think experienced the exact same thing. Um, now, like I said, Ben Shapiro or people like him, they're, they're pushing neoconservatism and like, oh yeah, they'll argue against abortion and maybe a little bit against homosexuality. They'll definitely argue against the trans stuff, but uh, their half of their stick is pushing like Reaganomics on millennials and Gen Zers, right? <laughs> and, and they tell you like, that's what conservatism is. 
So and it, then Jordan Peterson comes along and he's like, he's like outlining this sort of deep structure of ideology and, and how it motivates people and like what exactly is wrong with like this particular violently aggressive leftist ideology that's sort of taken over academia. Um, and here, the way he would speak about it made me think, well, it, it, I just knew that he was, he ha he was taking his hammer and hitting the exact nail that I had started noticing a lot. Right. And in, in particular, you know, what set him off was touching that live wire of yes. gender so, ideology. Right. Right. And he, he rejected in Canada, they were trying to pass this bill, bill C-16, uh, which I think they ended up passing, which would basically make it a, a, a crime punishable with imprisonment if you refuse to call a trans person by their preferred pronoun. And so he, he put drew a line in the sand there and said, I'm not doing that. You're, you're not making me do that. And uh, <laughs> the, the reaction to that was insane because it, it reveals like the, the progressive monster it sort of came out from under the rug and bared its teeth. It's like, how dare you? How dare you have the audacity to not go along with what we're telling you to do? But then at the same time, I think a lot of people were really inspired seeing seeing someone actually stand up and say enough to it. You know, because a lot of the time it's easier just to, and for the sake of being polite and avoiding conflict, just kind of letting this stuff slide. I think what was shocking, you know, so there was there was one particular news interview with him that really went viral, uh, in which he, um, you know, you see this all, uh, I don't destroyed, right? This is on like the YouTube video names, right? Jordan Peterson yeah. destroyed so and so, right? Um, yeah. But he just like, you know, you 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 might expect to have seen on some kind of a like conservative versus liberal like kind of. Uh, format of a of a news show of like you know, someone putting up the conservative position to this, um, but what what seems shocking is that he he a came out very strongly like this was something he felt strongly about, but b he was not uh, he was not identifying as like an evangelical Christian he was simply uh, he was simply being presented as a professor of psychology, uh, right. not a, not a field widely known for uh, like theologically orthodox Christianity right. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and 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 B when he came when he came out and started talking about it, uh, he he not only defended his position, but he attacked the other side's presuppositions, right? And I think yeah. this is this is what seemed radical, at least to me, is someone coming out there, like in in the in the public in an, in a news format, and and attacking the ideological underpinnings in in a fairly. I would say somewhat aggressive way, uh, though he was certainly respectful, not yelling, that kind of thing. Um, you know, I, I've just got to, I've got to think for you as you saw this around 2016, Joseph, uh, you're still in college at that point, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah and so you. you're literally in, uh, you know, the, 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 the ground zero of, um, of where this would seem most toxic, right? Where yeah. you have... Uh, all these terms, safe spaces, toxic masculinity, microaggressions, uh, the patriarchy, like all, the, all these phrases, which actually now in 2020 are like seeping into the mainstream more because they were so deep into college campuses five years ago. Uh, what right. was that like to be on a college campus and to, to hear Jordan Peterson like, talk like that? It was uh, incredibly refreshing and 
made me feel like it was just awesome to see hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people who also were looking around and thinking like, what is going on? This is insanity. Right. And Peterson, um, articulated the problem really clearly. And that, that was just, yeah, it was a breath of fresh air as it, it college, a liberal arts college, it can feel like, uh, like a, like a clown world, I guess. I mean, to give you an example, <laughs> there were, there were, there was a flyers for this, this event called I Love the Female Orgasm. And, uh, I went to it my freshman year out of just like naive curiosity. It was with my girlfriend at the time. And it, there's this like 30, late thirties, early 40 year old woman who is like manically and excitedly talking about, uh, the, how she discovered the joys of masturbation. Um, <laughs> to an auditorium full of, of college students, and even even at the time, I wasn't I was far from Christian, but but it just it struck me as like completely inane and moronic, and I, I can't. There's a lot of adjectives I could use, but I just got up and left. And I remember when people saw me and my girlfriend get up and leave because a bunch of heads turned. There was like a dozen other people who followed us. Uh, it's like you kind of snap out of it and wonder, like, what's going on? Why am I here? And what is this? <laughs> what are what are they telling us? You know, why is this being advertised everywhere on campus? But but that's that's the kind of environment. And so if you've seen Jordan Peterson like stand up against the beast and say no, right, is uh, was awesome. It was awesome, and it makes you he's he's incredibly brave to do that. Joseph, were there other? Uh other, especially young men, but other people in general, um, in in your your class that were hearing Peterson at the same time and, and having similar responses, or, or were were, were uh, your peers more hostile? Like, what what was going on with the rest of the your peers? So, I, yeah, I had a. Can you guys hear me? Sorry, my microphone disconnected. That's much uh, better, actually. Actually, it's much better. Okay, great. Um, yeah, the the it was just somewhat disappointing because I I remember going to the College Republicans Club uh, at my campus, and uh, all they cared to talk about was like economics, right? Like neoconservative economics. Um, no one would even criticize like the transgender ideology because I think they were all afraid to, you know, <laughs> there was, and that, if anything, you'd think, Oh, like there's my, the bastion of conservatism, but no, it was, it, the conversation was limited to economics because, uh, you know, ultimately like having a bunch of students support lower taxes for the wealthy doesn't threaten the establishment, doesn't threaten the, the oligarchs and the social right. engineering, right? Right. <laughs> um, if anything, it's in their favor. So, yeah, that was just, that was disappointing. I did, I didn't really meet, uh, there, I had a friend who was against a lot, or he, he yeah, he was against a lot of the, the SJW, if you will, programming and ideology and whatnot, but he was also a nihilistic atheist and his perspective was just like, well, like why care about anything, including this, you know, it just, it was, it was lumped under the things of not, of, that aren't worth caring about. Um, so 
Yeah, I, 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 I knew a few other people who were interested in Peterson, but I can count them on one hand, and they were interested in him purely from like a philosophical sense because some of his like ideas of Jung and whatnot tickled their brains. And what, but um, it wasn't it wasn't until I left college that I really started uh, meeting a lot more people who had been affected by Peterson in a way where it, he woke them up to maybe more uh, or more reactionary mindset of, of reacting against the aggressive progressive culture that we have, I guess. Can I pause on that, Joseph? I want to come back to that because that's really important. But, sure. uh, you know, in some ways, some of the the secular story narrative that we're looking at is what's go- when we're having this conversation is what's going on in college campuses. Um, and that's that's actually really important because, you know, typically the ideologies that are not just popular, but have become. Uh, hegemonic to use to use a, a to borrow a term there um, hegemonic on college campuses like th- those are the ideas that you know I don't know about five or ten years down the road end up you know being the major voices within the culture right, right. as people yeah. come out of those colleges uh, people who could afford them end up becoming leaders in uh, business and social justice and politics and that kind of thing. So this is, this is part of why this conversation is important because it's sort of a bellwether for where we're moving. Yes. Um, so I'm, I'm just thinking about, you know, when you're in college there, you, you were a philosophy major, right? Correct. Um, why were you a philosophy major? And is any of the drive for that, did that connect with your drive for your interest in uh, these ideas that you're hearing about from this professor of psychology? Sure. Yeah. So uh, I kind of stumbled into philosophy because I went to a philosophy club meeting and realized I was more interested in talking about what we were talking about in that club than I wasn't really anything else. Um, And that had to do a lot with also my sort of spiritual yearning and searching for a grounding uh, in my life, sorting things out in my head. Um, so, yeah, I, I was just interested in it. I, in retrospect, wish I studied something else along with it, but <laughs> nonetheless, I had a good experience <laughs> with it. Um, and, uh, yeah, when I, when I was listening to Peterson, you know, he's, he's a psychologist, he's not a philosopher, although he's, he's good at thought. He's a clear thinker and he articulates himself well um he's not like necessarily systematic in the way he thinks and especially if you're studying philosophy in particular analytic philosophy like most of the professors taught at my school uh you're you're kind of used to a more systematic like logically rigorous approach to it but um it was refreshing to listen to him because he's he just kind of lets his ideas roll and uh I, I appreciated that. Um, can you still hear me? Yeah, you're great. You're okay, great. <laughs> good. Um, yeah, and and but you know what I've come to realize is like it. He, the most important thing about Jordan Peterson was that he spoke truth. Not everything he said is true. I think he gets some things wrong, but he hit on some very important truths boldly with without beating around the bush. And uh, they, they're truths that cut through the lies that a lot of people are fed now. Can we get into that? You know, so what we've, the only idea that we've really talked about from Jordan Peterson is standing up with respect to gender, gender uh, ideology. Um, yeah. He's pretty, pretty strong on this. His, his field is in personality research. 
And so he will say many times, you know, like th this is his area of study. And within personality psychology, uh, there's actually a pretty good consensus that there are differences between men and women, some of which go back to biology. And therefore, you know, uh, denying that or not allowing that into the conversation uh, is something that um, denies truth. And I think, I think that is, that's where the conversation starts to go farther, is that uh, he didn't just have an idea about gender, but it, 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 it struck that nerve into something deep, deeper about uh, a, a, um, what, like uh, a, a conversation, um, a, a liberal conversation in the, in the kind of classical sense of open conversation and search for truth that he was not finding with amongst his peers. Uh, and then this whole like, um, this whole architecture of thought that came behind it. And so I want to kind of just dive into some of that background a little bit, because I, I assume for you, somehow it started to go in that direction, right? Like you saw him stand up for something. And then as you listen to more podcasts or episodes or read more, that, uh, I don't know, it was like probably, you know, just diving into something bigger. You know, what were some of those other ideas, some of that bigger architecture of Peterson thought that started to open up? Sure. Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's honestly the, I got, I don't want to say bored, but kind of bored of the, his, his like scientific modern rationalist arguments for differences between genders. And we have the data to prove that it. it's like, this is stuff that when you read, you know, in the ancient Greeks or the Bible or any like ancient literature, they just sort of take it for granted. Like it's obvious, right? Reality, mm -hmm. you look at reality and there's differences between men and women. Um, right. And <laughs> so but what I appreciate about him is that, you know, what his what he's doing is calling people's attention to reality. Yes. Which is the most important thing. And uh, there's a there's a great clip of his or he's arguing with one of these social justice protesters uh, at one of his first appearances at U of T, like public appearances. And she's like, well, how do you, what do you think about the fact that what you say makes people feel threatened or oppressed or whatever? And he says, honestly, I don't care how people feel about facts. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it's, it's a, it's a great statement and it kind of captures like, yeah, what he's about. But uh, so to answer your question, you know, he, what he got me, he, I think he really calls people's attention to the virtues, to like the classical virtues. And what he tells men, everyone, but, you know, sort of a focus on men is like, fix yourself. Don't do things that you know are wrong. Be a better person. Be honest. Be forthright. Be good to the people around you. Take care of the people around you. Be dependable. Be responsible. Just these like, you know, virtues. <laughs> um, and... And, and, and the way he frames them by referencing, like, ancient mythology or even, like, modern Disney movies or something and pointing out these archetypes and stories draws, makes you realize the sort of almost, like, platonic nature of these, uh, like, patterns in life and the way that that life goes when you act a certain way as compared to another way. And, um a lot, something that a lot of people who listen to Peterson will say is that he, he made me remember things that I already knew. Like he, he just sort of brought them more to the forefront, uh, kind of reminding people. In some ways, I think it's like reminding people of the law that's written on their hearts that St. Paul talks about, right? Just, just putting the spotlight on it a little more. <laughs> like, yeah, this is the proper way of being. That's not. And uh, that, that emphasis on 
not only on virtue because it's easy to moralize and say do this and don't do this right and that's like the approach i guess a lot of uh popular christianity in america has taken um which is why peterson had this different effect because it's not just he's not just moralizing but he's saying like look this is like these are like universal truths (laughs) and and by living this way you're like by living virtuously you're you're just participating in the same mode of being as all these other people throughout history who also did that and found salvation in a sense through that. Andrew, I know you, you and I talked a little bit about that. Do you want to comment a little bit? Well, I, I, my sense in listening to Peterson and, and, and the caveat is that uh, I'm sort of a, a Peterson amateur. I've, I've listened enough, but he's so prodigious that it's like, uh, it would take a long time to get through everything. Uh, but the sense I've gotten in listening to certain things is that he he's arguing for essentially, I think, a recovery of what we call natural law. Yeah. Um, you know, which would be like reality as such, like you're saying. Like He's reminding people that, you know, like the things that we see around us aren't just like linguistic constructs. That There's an actual... Uh, thisness or thereness to these things that we we actually experience and bump up against and that that we, that we can see these things we can see that there's a difference between male and female uh, but i think some of what he's also doing is he's saying like okay look there is this thing called reality we inhabit this thing called reality but with this thing called reality come comes like a a way that leads to human flourishing and by reason, we can know these things that will lead to human flourishing. And oh, by the way, we've been doing this for a long time. It goes way back. <laughs> and we can look at ancient mythology and we can look at these things and see, oh yeah, there are these things called virtues that will help lead to human flourishing. And, uh, and Christi- uh, one of my favorite theologians, uh, an American theologian, uh, Stanley Hauerwas, he talks about these things as, as going with the grain of the universe, right? Yes. The universe has <laughs> yeah. a direction that it's going in. I love uh, that way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's um, awesome. But, uh, and then we can go with it, right? If, by, by living virtuously by, and ultimately, you know, how, uh, how would say in, in our union with Christ, right? Like you can't go the direction of the universe without being in Christ because he is the direction of the universe, but uh, best to get ahead of ourselves a little bit. But, Mm. So C.S. Lewis was big on this too. He, uh, his book, The Abolition of Man, he, he talks about the Tao um, term it, he uses for it. In, in some right. ways, yeah, you know, it's like there's you look at you know, so the most famous the most famous thing Jordan Peterson has published, Twelve Rules for Life. A lot of common sense stuff in there, right? Like, uh, what's what's the first one, Joseph? Like head head up, Stand shoulders up back. Straight with your shoulders back. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, cl- clean clean your room. Um, you know, these, these things that I think some people are like, wait, this is supposed to be an ideas guy. You know, this is someone with a PhD. Like, what, what, why in the world is anyone attracted to this? Uh, or on the other side, I think some other people look at that and say, like, uh, I as a preacher or I as a parent have been trying to say these things and uh, kids are just blowing me off. What is it about this guy that's, you know, like, uh, I thought we were moving into soundbite age where you got to do something in 30 seconds, something that fits in a TikTok or at, at the very most, you know, like a, an 18 minute TED talk. 
Uh, and this guy has two-hour lectures online that have <laughs> millions of views. Uh, this is it's so counterintuitive um, that he would be, yeah, I don't know, catching on to something there. Um, I don't know. Yeah, in, in some ways, it's still a mystery to me. You know, why, why that in particular? Um, do, you, do you have any thoughts, Joseph? Yeah, so he... Um... I have a few thoughts on that. I think when you're when you're not a Christian, when you're not ensconced in like the Christian worldview, listening to a Christian a lot of the time will it'll just like bounce off your brain because it it you're operating on different like presuppositions than they are. Um, now with Peterson, he you know it's it's to his detriment and also to his advantage doesn't explicitly identify himself as a Christian. He's seated very much in like a, he's a liberal. He's a self-proclaimed classical liberal, mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. influenced by the Enlightenment. And there's a lot of problems that arise from that. But, but the benefit of that is he can deliver these truths, or mostly truths, to his audience, um, who also is in that like secular, liberal uh, small L liberal worldview um, in a way where it, there there isn't like a biased screen that sort of knocks it back when it <laughs> comes towards them, if you will. Um, I, I know I, I found that with him. It's he, but in, in addition to that, I also think it's the, the his delivery is is direct and aggressive at times, but not in a not in a crude way. In a just in a on an honest way, in a passion, he's passionate about what he's talking about. Um, he believes what he's talking about, and that's obvious from watching him speak. And uh, that kind of like authenticity, I think, is refreshing. Um, and he he also will kind of will talk to people, even though he's a he's a a very intelligent man and an academic. And when you're when when you're that kind of person, there's a temptation to always talk like an academic. He he talks in a very folksy, down to earth way as well, and will talk to people as people, but is also in a simple way able to relate um, truisms. And yeah. and yeah, that that makes him very effective as a speaker. So to get to give our listeners just some bearing for where we're at in the conversation, as far as your personal story, we're at a point where. You are you've you've had some kind of uh, epiphany or drawing to the way that Jordan Peterson is talking about some things, which are which is giving you a perspective on your campus culture, on the ideology that you're around, uh, on some sense of transcendence being drawn to something bigger, and we've kind of identified this within the Jordan Peterson corpus as uh, the ways that he 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 interacts with. Um, these sort of like basic human needs and desires for order rather than chaos uh, or for, for true freedom to come through some kind of ordering, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, yeah. and I'm, I'm, th I'm thinking in particular about some specific conversations he's had. So he, he, he's popular for lectures, but he's also popular for interviews that have been done with him, right? Mm -hmm. And so like you mentioned, so the, I'm going to name some people who are very different from each other. Uh, you talked about the Joe Rogan interviews, and that's certainly yeah. part of what part of what blew Jordan Peterson up because Joe Rogan's podcast is so popular. So Joe Rogan is a sort of weird, interesting guy that doesn't really fit into boxes. Um, 
but he has his own kind of like trying to figure things out kind of thing that puts him a little bit on the outside of labels. Uh, next, um, he was on Russell Brand's podcast, um, right. uh, which if, if our listeners uh, don't know Russell Brand, uh, any, anything that Russell Brand, whenever he interviews someone, you think, this is the weirdest interview I've ever seen. And, and, then, and then the next, the next interview is even weirder. Uh, but he has a very odd sort of mystical quest, but it's also somewhat related to trying to figure out um, some sort of basic truths that are both related to spirituality and the good life. Um, it's weird, but it's, it's, it, there's something there. There's also then number three, I'm going to go to four here. Number three is the conversations with Sam Harris that I think happened maybe a little over a year ago. So there were, I think, three or four public conversations between Jordan Peterson and Sam Harris. Uh, Sam Harris uh, became known to evangelicals as one of the four horsemen of the, of the, well, of the, uh, what do they call it? The new atheist, the four horsemen, the, yeah, of the, the four horsemen of the new atheists or whatever. Yeah. Um, and, but they, but Sam Harris, you know, he's certainly, while he's uh, derisive of Christianity, uh, he also is someone who does not fall into like a, a postmodern milieu, you know, like uh, he, he does believe in objective truth, objective morality, even. Uh, he, he tries to find ways to ground that. And in his conversation with Jordan Peterson, Jordan Peterson is almost ca cast as like the Christian in the conversation. Like yeah. he's not, he's yeah. not, right? But he's, he's the guy arguing for transcendence in what feels like, you know, like this very post-Christian uh, set of thinkers trying to recover like basic ideas, again, of virtue, transcendence, objective morality, and like kind of searching for what the grounds for those are. Uh, and, and so these are very different, right? And number four, I, another one who actually would identify as a Christian, though it's a little tough, uh, that's the English philosopher Roger Scruton. Uh, there's a conversation between Peterson and Scruton about a year and a half ago uh, in Oxford. Uh, Roger Scruton just died about a month ago, uh, unfortunately. Um, but very, very uh, prodigious, highly respected uh, philosopher of uh, philosophy, uh, but also uh, in general uh, philosophical conservatism. And a uh, really interesting conversation where, again, they're sort of like, what they're trying to do is kind of work through the, the Kantian problem, uh, so Immanuel Kant's problem of we've got like an empirical world that we can, we can sense, you know, but then there's this, uh, this sort of idea, a noumenal world, which, which we just can't get into. And they're, they're trying to find some way within the modern world to like cross that gap uh, and to get Jesus. over onto that transcendent Jesus. side. Right, right. The incarnation. Does, does, not get, does not get addressed in that conversation. <laughs> Um, but Roger Scruton goes through beauty and music and, uh, and Peterson goes through, do it too, but. right, right, right. And Peterson goes through Solzhenitsyn and Dostoevsky and Jung and all these things. So for our listeners, I, I encourage you to jump on one of those interviews. There, it's really interesting as you see these people in a sort of post-Christian age, trying to feel their way around for these things, which in some way as, as believers in the Christian faith, uh, we, we, we believe that we're seeing in uh, a clearer way, a way that you know, isn't captured in Revelation. So I just want to use that as, as a hinge to turn maybe on your personal story, Joseph, um, as you kind of hinged from 
investigating these ideas, being drawn to them, to the beginnings of being interested in faith or seeing connections to, to Christian faith? Sure. Yeah. So uh, the way it the way it works for me is like if you can imagine um, being uh, in like a building with a bunch of different rooms and you open one room and it smells terrible and you shut the door and you say, okay, I know, I know that room is, is no good. And then you open the next door and this one has some kind of grotesque image in the back and there's like a loud blaring noise. So you shut that room too. It's like, okay, that's not what I'm looking for either. And then you realize after opening a bunch of doors that like all the rooms on this side of the building are no good. <laughs> and then eventually through trial and error, uh, through, through seeing and experiencing things and knowing what, what you know is wrong, um, kind of narrows it down uh, to what's, what's right. And uh, that, I would say that's, that's what my experience was like, especially with coming to, to, uh, to, to warm up to Christianity in particular. So like with Peterson, he, you know, I mentioned how he, he talks about the sort of universal truth of uh, the virtues and he he met, says specifically like we'll mention Christ is sort of like the 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 perfect archetype I guess to use his Jungian terminology um, and he has a lot of reverence for for scripture and for Christ uh, and it was really the first time I had heard anyone who wasn't a Christian speak of of the Bible that way um, and watching his his lecture series on Genesis and just hearing him riff on these each like verse by verse through Genesis on the potential meanings and symbolism made me think like, well, there's a lot more to this book than I ever knew or thought or was aware of. And I just, Joseph, just can, I, can, I just, it. can I jump in? Yeah. You, you mentioned about him talking about Christ as, as an archetype using the yeah. psychology of Carl Jung. Uh, mm -hmm. what, what, what does that mean? Okay. Yeah. So, so, and this is also, I think, where Peterson's greatest flaws are in terms of his worldview. So, uh, I, I haven't read a lot of Jung, but I think I can do this justice. So, the, the idea of an archetype is like a, a figure that represents a uh, particular like pattern of behavior um, that repeats itself over time. So, there's like a hero archetype, and one of the things that's involved in like the, the story of the hero is him uh, going down into a very dark place uh, that, that he fears the most and retrieving something of great value from it and bringing it back and restoring the city, right? To put, that's, that's one example of sort of like a classic hero um, arc, arc, yeah. So uh, when he talks about Christ being the perfect archetype or the perfect man, he essentially describes him... Uh, as, as someone who like completely embodied embodied that archetype and um, reached a level of, I don't know what to call it, self-actualization, uh, the highest level possible of that. Um, and the, prob the problem with this is that it makes, the way he talks about Christ can sound sometimes like Christ was the ultimate enlightened dude who uh, like psychologically organized organized and cleansed himself 
to the point of like reaching this divine status. Um, Peterson will literally say that like we don't know what's possible when someone like fully integrates themselves or something like that. <laughs> it's, uh, it's very very psychological terminology. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh. And um, of course, the problem with that is that it, it's it's like Nestorian because it or it's Arian really. In the, in the way that it considers Christ to just be another human being who, who reached an enlightened state like the Buddha or something. Um, now, Peterson doesn't, doesn't exclude the possibility of like, Christ actually having been resurrected and being God. He's just he's sort of locked into or, a particular interpretation because of his heavy Jungian influence, among other things. Was his... Um, <clears throat> his conceptualizing of so imagine at this point you, you weren't yet a believer here's uh peterson he he's offering this reading of scripture where he's talking about christ as an archetype yeah um, was that sort of a gate like an opening up to yeah well the, the effect of, who he was beyond what you might have before yes the the effect of, of his biblical series and of all his lectures was was uh my my getting interested in in virtue um in particular but thinking about it like actively but also um losing a lot of my sort of knee-jerk uh hatred i want to say or revulsion against christianity that was you know like uh, that i absorbed through osmosis really from the culture um and as, after i watched the biblical series the first thing i did was i, uh, I had an audiobook credit so i got c.s lewis's mere christianity and I listened to that, and I remember thinking, "Huh, it's nice." It's Peter, see, because Peterson will like beat around the bush in a way, talking about Christ, and he'll tickle like the possibility of Christ being being like this extraordinary person. Um, but C.S. Lewis, of course, just gets he, he doesn't <laughs> he just says it flat out, you know. And and then and and after I read that, I was like, that that really launched me into. Uh, it, well, it made me want to become a Christian. Actually, I did, uh, air quotes, become a Christian after reading that book, although I was far from actually dedicating my life to Christ. It was it was an impulsive decision, and I was excited by this, like, new world of, of possibility, I guess, that I saw. You know, it's it's really interesting how you how you talk about that, because... Because it's it's not just that Peterson talks about so there a lot of, a lot with Jesus and how he fits into being like an archetype like you said, but that doesn't just mean that Jesus was a good or moral story. Like Peterson says, like this is actually one of the most important stories told. Like he he takes it like pretty deeply, right? Yes, um, he takes because, it very because, seriously. Yeah, because an archetype is something that, and this is I think this is unclear in Jungian psychology is. Uh, somehow an arch an archetype goes back to like some somewhere back in evolution that it connects to like all it's somehow wired into our brains uh whether that yeah, means something Peter, biologically or psychologically uh, but somehow it's it's tied into like it we have to think in a certain way and we can't not we can't go against that in some ways so um anyway yeah you know i i think that that that's some of what he's drawing out and it's at the very least a reason for um uh it's it's a reason for sorry no joseph i know you dropped off for a second there and you're back on yes uh, can you guys hear me? anyway yeah i can hear you but anyway Great. it's at the very least it's it's a reason that 
it affects all of us because it tells something that, and this is the C.S. Lewis connection, is that um, like Jordan, like Peterson wants to say like, regardless of whether I think the resurrection like bodily happened, it is it is a truth. It is a true story. He says that quite a bit. Like it, it is true, in a yeah. in a sense. And and C.S. Lewis does that sometimes with the Bible in some ways. He says that this is a true myth. And that, that word myth, he says, is not something that should distract you to say that it is historically true or false, but just that it is being told as a story because C.S. Lewis was a professor of literature also tied into uh, the way that myth worked into things. And, and Jungian psychology gets tied into that through Joseph Campbell, um, right. who I think Peterson picks up on quite a bit there, the, the, hero, the hero's journey. Uh, follow your bliss is the sort of like, you know, what he finds people trying to do. Um, but anyway, yeah, that, that's just to say that I, I can see how he's picking up on something, obviously not the metaphysical reality there, um, but I think he's trying to name, I don't know, the result of the metaphysical reality. Yeah. Right? Yes. And he wrestles with that a lot because he's, he sees that it's, it's like true in every way, but he won't, come out and say that it's like theologically true because he doesn't want to uh, venture into that territory because he's a psychologist that's the way mm-hmm. he puts it basically right um which which you know is, is respectable although i also think that i don't want to call it a gimmick but it, it, that gimmick only has so much uh it, it only works for so long before you kind of have to take a side right you can only straddle so the speak- for so long yeah. Speaking speaking of taking aside, uh, walk us through those next steps as you really come to embrace, embrace Christian faith. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's so I I um, I was actually in Israel when when I finished reading Mere Christianity, and I remember I went to the old city in Jerusalem, and I wanted to buy a Bible. Um, so I went to a this Bible store in Jerusalem, and this there was this uh, Messianic Jew who owned the store and he asked me why I was there and I told him and long story short he ended up like I ended up quote unquote converting to Christianity there with him he said a prayer for me uh, made up a prayer on the spot and, and I was saved I was a Christian then in a in this sort of evangelical Protestant way of being saved I suppose um, I accepted Jesus into my heart I said a prayer too and I walked out and and uh I I went I visited the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, um, and which was beautiful. It was a great experience. And I visited a few other places, and I had my Bible with me, and I thought I was a Christian. And I so, but I, I get back to the United States, and uh, and I I've, I've been thinking, okay, um, which church should I go to now that I'm a Christian? And I think, well, the Catholic Church has a lot of history behind it, like the. I should check that out. <laughs> there's there's probably something to that. So I almost I almost became Catholic. Um, I I hung out hung out with a lot of Catholics for for a good while uh, at my college's Newman Center. And um, there's one man in particular who I had a lot of good conversations with, and he was also aware, kind of reactionary in his his views on the culture and whatnot. But ultimately, uh, I I found that I kind of had to beg to be catechized in the catholic church <laughs> and mm-hmm. um when i finally had lunch with a priest with the priest the town priest and who was also who also worked with students a lot he told me to wait um 
Institute, he also said that Islam and polytheism were very interesting. He said that what? homosexual love and heterosexual love are equal, and that the only reason homosexual love used to or homosexuality used to be uh, looked down upon was because in biblical times morality was revolved around the tribe, and nowadays the tribe is not as important. Oh, wow. um, <laughs> yeah, and and it was kind of a. I, I left it sort of stunned, thinking like, well, that just sounded like a lot of what I grew up with. That doesn't really sound like much, anything different. Oh, and he also said he was only a Catholic priest because he grew up in the, in the faith. Um, now, I don't, I don't want to say that. I don't want to say that saying that like every Catholic priest is like that because, of course, it's not true. But uh, there, it was. Now I know that, that it was indicative of a, a particular spirit that has influenced that church for who knows how long. Definitely since Vatican II onward. Um, a lot. And so after that, I, I decided that I was going to check out evangelical Protestantism because they seemed to take it pretty more seriously than a lot of the Catholics I met. They cared, they took their religion seriously. And uh, um, a lot of what I found there was honestly shallower than what I found in Jordan Peterson. The, the, it just, it felt like it felt like a Hallmark card version of spirituality. Um, and I did have meaningful emotional experiences in uh, those circles, but realized after the fact, like they really were just emotional experiences. There wasn't any, I wasn't mystically connecting with the creator of the universe. I was working myself up into a kind of, uh, excited state and telling myself that something happened. Um, and moreover, though, it, I was being told I was saved, and yet I still felt broken inside because of because of the way I had lived, uh, of a lot of decisions I had made and things I had done. Mm -hmm. um, and there was that, that just cognitive dissonance with saying, wait, okay, but I'm saved. <laughs> and then if you're looking, feeling my soul, I'm not. Yeah, I'm broken. I'm sick inside. Like I need to be healed. How do? How am I healed? Because all I'm getting here is, well, you're already, you're already one. You're already good. And so, that didn't. That never really made sense to me. Um, now, uh, all that ultimately culminated in me almost abandoning uh, Christianity and moving to sort of like deism, loose deism that. <laughs> Which would have been a, a disaster, would have immediately <laughs> launched itself into nihilism or something, because like you can't make up your own god. But um, yeah, I, I started a, a Jordan Peterson meetup group in the city I moved to, and uh, an Orthodox priest, who's my current, still my priest, he's my spiritual father. He came to it, and uh, and I I had heard a little bit about Orthodoxy. I had a friend who told me offhand in conversation once, oh yeah, a lot of a lot of Westerners are converting to orthodoxy and uh, I, I'd also heard Peterson describe orthodoxy saying um, in the West in Roman Pro in Roman Catholicism and in Protestantism uh, Christianity seems to be more conceived as as a, a, a conceptual theory of the world uh, whereas in orthodoxy it's like an existential struggle uh, uphill towards the kingdom of God with your cross on your back 
And that which cohered a lot with the kind of things Peterson says, because Peterson will say the meaning of life is to voluntarily face evil and suffering and overcome it. Um, and it's, it's a process, right? And uh, the, in particular, the Orthodox doctrine of theosis, divinization, this, this, this salvation being this like eternal process of continually growing more and more like God. Um, yeah, when I, when I heard that and after attending uh, the Divine Liturgy, I just, I realized I had found what I was looking for. And I had found, finally found uh, the church that Christ put on earth for, soul, for my soul and other people, everyone else's soul to be saved through. Um, and not only that, but the, the fulfillment of, of what Peterson was pointing at. Because Peterson, by refusing to uh, engage in theology, could only point his finger in the right direction. And I, I, followed, I followed the trail that he was pointing at. That's the way I would put it. So, you know, this, this is fascinating. Uh, thank you for sharing that, Joseph. That's uh, yes. really, really interesting. Uh, it's also, I mean, it's not just a cool conversion story, but it, it really, it, it jars some of my expectations for how some of that should work. Uh, which, which is really, really interesting. I, I want to think about that in, in Jordan Peterson terms now. You, you know, you were sort of like within the circle of Jordan Peterson in thought, uh, but at a certain point, you followed like a, a tangent to that circle that took you outside of it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, some, some, some things that he was not talking about, not doing, it seemed in continuity with it in some ways, uh, though it was also clearly not what Peterson himself was doing. Um, I, I'm, I'm thinking about some specific conversations now. We mentioned some episodes, podcasts that he did with non-Christians. I'm thinking about some that he's done with Christians here. There was one within the, within the last, what was it, a year ago? The one with Bishop uh, Robert Barron, um, uh, who's, yeah, who's a uh, word on fire ministry, uh, does quite a bit to engage with the culture. Uh, there's also uh, a Catholic radio host, I think, named Peter Coffin, who had uh, an hour or so interview with uh, Peterson a couple years ago uh, that really, again, tried to directly address issues of religion and tr- try to figure out what he's saying there. A, a little bit of pin him down. What do you actually believe? Um, but uh, and, and to be honest, these things were really interesting. But as, as I was listening to some of these, can, here, here's a thought that I had, and I want to bounce this off you, Joseph. Sure. Uh, a thought that I had as I was listening to that, listening to the Genesis lectures, some of these archetype type things, I said, this is really interesting. It makes me think about the Bible from a, some different lenses, which is fascinating. Um, but there's actually quite a bit here that sounds a lot like 20th century mainline Protestantism uh, in the way that it uh, takes on the language of psychology to explain the faith, uh, mm. takes on the language of mythology to explain the faith. Um, so Peterson does quite a bit to psychologize uh, the devil and hell, uh, cross and resurrection. Um, he, Are you, you thinking know, of like Rudolf Bultmann and, and his ilk? Definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely some of those things. Um, yep. Uh, and, and in some ways, these people are trying to keep and affirm their faith in the midst of a secular narrative around them. 
and they were several steps back in where that secular narrative was. Um, but they tried to integrate some of these things from psychology, uh, what, what for them was the kind of the new and continental philosophy. And so you'll, you'll hear stuff about like God be like some of these thinkers will talk about God as like the ground of being, which has a certain, certain Thomistic history, but also has a, like a Hegelian philosophy history to that idea. Yeah, I've heard of Bishop Barron phrase it that way. Yes. Yes. He, he picks up on that. And some of them use it as a way to communicate to the culture. Uh, but it also had a tendency to reduce away the, uh, the creedal elements of the faith. Um, and so in some ways, this is what kickstarted certain fundamentalist groups, right? Is saying mm -hmm. those groups saying, uh, like you, you're, you're glossing over things that need to be held on to, you know? Um, and so over time, uh, you know, the Episcopal Church had its splits, uh, PCUSA, the Presbyterian Church, broke off into its PCA element, its more conservative element. And, uh, and so what, what I'm, I'm hearing some of those things within Jordan Peterson, but in a like more secular context. Um, and in a way, uh, like so, some Christians who are affirming these things are also affirming creedal elements. Um, but but I, I see your, your, your path there and like you, you, you almost, you have to take that tangent from the circle in order to keep going uh, to yeah. complete what he's saying, you know? Yeah, um, yeah, I, yeah, I think, yeah. I think that um, there is, <laughs> for a while when I was like elite, sort of abandoning my interest in evangelical Protestantism, I, uh, I was calling myself a metaphorical Christian. Um, basically a okay. Petersonian Christian where like okay. I, I affirmed all the moral teachings and like symbolism of of scripture but uh, either was agnostic or denied its literal reality. Agnostic about or denied it. Um, and I there's there's a good amount of people I've, I've met, I've talked to some other Peterson um, followers i don't want to say followers it makes him sound like a cult leader but peterson uh, uh listeners who um who are kind of stuck in that worldview or ha or in that way of thinking about it where it's they they can appreciate it but they're they they're not taking the full step to uh or they're not they're not going off that tangent as, as you put it um i actually i have a friend who is who was in the Peterson meetup group and, and he and I got into a little spat one time over that. Um, I, I kind of realized it, the, the differences in our opinion there kind of came to a head. Um, so, and, it, and that is significant, but then at the same time I was, I was at a, an Orthodox monastery, Russian monastery. And, uh, I was, I was talking with another pilgrim there and I mentioned Jordan Peterson's influence on me. And he said, you're like the fifth person I've talked to who's mentioned Jordan Peterson and their, their story of coming to, to the faith. Um, so I, I think, I mean, the only, if <laughs> you're only going to become more, uh, feel more warm towards Christianity after listening to Peterson. So if you're an atheist or an agnostic and you listen to him and you appreciate what he's saying, even if you don't become a Christian, you're at least going to become friendlier towards it, right? Um, which is a good thing. But I think in a lot of cases, like what you were saying about his uh, commentary sounding like mainline Protestant uh, commentary from the last century, I 
really what I, if you ask me like, okay, which point from Peterson's biblical lectures, the hours and hours of them, did you uh, take away the most? And I would answer really, it was just, it just made me realize there's a lot more to this book than I thought there was. And by making mm-hmm. me realize that it, it spurred a curiosity. Um, yeah. And that was the most important thing. Because right. a lot of it, I mean, he, he even says, like, I'm not saying anything that I say in this is true. I'm just working out my thoughts in front of you. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the effect of watching him do that is, can be very powerful. Yeah, and when I say mainline Protestants, I don't mean to dismiss that totally. There is, there's certainly a lot of bad trails there. But again, um, you go back to Robert, Bishop Robert Barron. Uh, he did his PhD on one of those thinkers, Paul Tillich, uh, you know. Uh, there's there's some fruitfulness to it, um, but there's also a need to ground it, which some of those thinkers started to, to drop out. The, the sort of the metaphysical grounding of uh, of the psychological truth. Um, I, I think we should shift toward our last part here, um, and some of that is uh, a kind of capstone on this. And so we've covered a lot of ground. Um, and really one of the big things I wanted, I've wanted to talk about here is that when we think about our secular culture, we often think of the many ways in which it's moving away from Christianity. But uh, as, our, as our culture becomes more secular, uh, it, it, has, it loses more contact with Christianity. And so it could be going in any number of directions, right? And I've I, wanted through this episode to identify one of, those, one of those directions that our culture, parts of our culture are going in, which is actually sometimes moving toward Christianity. And it doesn't do that in our terms or even in our language sometimes. Uh, and that is something like Jordan Peterson uh, or the people who are listening to him uh, and identifying certain ways that our culture has become oppressive of truth itself. And so, uh, so looking at this, there's something here in which parts of our culture are actually moving toward, might be moving toward Christianity. So how should we as a church be thinking about or responding to this? Because in many ways, the appeal of Jordan Peterson is not the way that churches are looking to gain uh, new converts, right? Like um, he is, he can be combative. He's uh, frustrated and fed up. Um, He he does these like super long lectures, uh, right? Um, Somehow is appealing to masculinity in some ways that the church is not doing well. Um, Nearly all American churches are at least 60% female in their membership. Um, So uh, Joseph, can you comment on some of that as you think about uh, what drew you to the faith in particular? and, and also what you think some churches could learn as you kind of uh, shuffled through the deck there trying to find a, a way of doing Christianity that fit with this uh, search for truth that you were on. Sure. So a tidbit I'll throw in there um, is that with these statistics uh, regarding the gender proportions in churches, the Orthodox Church is the only Christian church in America that actually has a majority men in it. Right. Um, and the, on, the only other religious group is Muslims. Uh, so it's pretty much mm-hmm. Muslims and Eastern Orthodox are the only religious groups that are hitting majority men in them. Yeah. 
And uh, when I think about this, the, the question you asked, I think about um, there's a priest in California, Father Josiah Trenum, and his church has grown tremendously. And he gets, I think he was getting something like 40 new inquirers every week. Um, I may be wrong about that, but he's, he's baptized many groups of like 40 or 50 at a time. Uh, and um, I think what he does right, I, I appreciate a lot of his work, as both his writing and his videos, is that he, he aggressively calls out um, the culture. And he'll refer to it as he'll refer to the LGBT uh, crusade as the homo fascists, for example, right? <laughs> and and some people some people say that he he's comes on too strong with that. But honestly, I think I think if you if you mince words and you tiptoe around these things, um, you you don't win any respect from from uh, the other side. And by the other side, I mean the the anti-God force, because <laughs> uh, it, it's really a battle between good and evil, ultimately between God and not God. Um, and you don't. There's no. I'm reminded of of when I was in Israel. I was talking to a bus driver. I was in a bus, and I'm not saying he was correct necessarily, but uh, it's an interesting idea. He was saying that you know that Israel shouldn't give cede any land to the Palestinians, to the Arabs, because in Western countries, when you when you give something up, that's seen as diplomacy, it's seen as, as civility. But the uh, the Middle Eastern in Middle Eastern culture, in Arab culture, Muslim culture, that's seen as a sign of weakness, right? And uh, I think it's the same way with with uh, this prog the rampant progressivism. There's by by trying to cater to people's feelings and not come across too strongly, um, you it just makes you seem weak. And uh, men who are seeking truth don't want to go to something that seems weak and unsure of itself, and like mm -hmm. it's like it's really not trying to hurt anyone's feelings. Um, they they want the truth, right? And that's why. <laughs> That's why a lot of Peterson's followers are, are young men who are kind of aimless and like not sure what's going on in the world they're living in, and they they see someone boldly standing up against against this force. Not to not to uh, blow Peterson into like cosmic proportions, but you know just symbolically, that's kind of what's going on. Um, that's that's what what will what draws men. To, to a church, to anything, really. So this is a display of strength, ultimately, right? And uh, and there needs to be there needs to be a display of strength against this because it's evil and it destroys people's lives and their souls. And um, it's some it's uh, us people need to stand up against it because if no one does, then it just keeps marching forward. Which and Peterson, it, it's he's. He demonstrates just how few people actually stand up against it because merely by saying that he wasn't going to abide by that part of the law, it's like all hell broke loose, right? <laughs> the uh, he had students, dozens of students showing up to protest him, literally waving hammer and sickle flags, like wow. It, that it all it took was that that little act of disobedience, and then hell was raised. I'm, I'm reminded actually of something that he, Peterson says a number of times that many of the people in college campuses, uh, whether they're students, 
or professors, one of the reasons they're attracted to uh, kind of social justice ideology is actually because of a desire, uh, kindness, like they, they want to be kind, right? Um, and he says like that, that kindness is not a bad thing. The, the problem is that it's just, it, it, it's not always, it, it should not always be the controlling element. And, and that, that's where he's going to bring in like desire for order and, and that kind of thing. Uh, and, and I think about that with some of what you're saying here with respect to churches. I think for many of us Christians, our desire for kindness um, starts to take control in our, uh, our evangelism, in our methods of relating to the culture. And we think that we're doing ourselves a favor by being as kind as possible. Uh, but that is not necessarily communicating the truth of the gospel in the best way sometimes. Well, right. If I might push back just a touch, because kindness is one of the fruits of the Spirit. So we don't want to push that too right. far. I want to say instead that we have a misconceived idea of what kindness is. We think of kindness as being soft, right? So kindness is not to say the hard thing. And what I would rather say is that actually the, the kind thing to do, the loving thing to do would be to speak the truth to that person. Um, kindness Correct. isn't to skirt around the issue and go around it. The ki- kindness isn't to bite my tongue um, and not say what needs to be said. Um, in fact, I'm uh, who are who uh, Penn and Teller, right? Um, he all he Penn's an atheist, um, and he, this is the magician group, right? And he's always he's consistently criticizing Christians for their lack of kindness to him, saying, like, look, if you really believe what you say you believe, why aren't you telling me about it? Right? Your kindness isn't actually very kind. It comes across <laughs> as, as actually you're hating me because you're, you think I'm going to be condemned to hell, and yet you're not giving me, uh, giving me the straight scoop. You're not telling me the truth. Um, so I would say we need to think harder about what kindness actually is. Sure. With respect to the have yeah. strength in it, right? Right. Um, right. Actually, I, I would say that what we we were just being weak, um, were mm. or pedantic, or, or, or yeah. No, I would I would agree with that. And I think um, cowardly. We're being cowards, is what I would say. Sure. I Joseph, were you going to say something there, Joseph? Yeah, yeah. I, I was trying to remember my thought on. Um, You well, can go ahead uh, and escape me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No problem. Uh, you know, we, we've touched on quite a bit here. Um, and I, I think that I have quite a bit to think about, you know, as we think about our role as a church within our culture, within our secular culture. Uh, you know, we're not trying for the church just to be, you know, uh, another, you know, the, the strongest um the strongest man in the in the room, the kind of the, the last fighter standing, exactly. You know, like that that wouldn't be quite the right image, right? Uh, but uh, but people should see Christianity in the kind of postmodern room of we've got all these different ideas out there, and should look at it and say, uh, this is something with some meat on it. You know, if I push on it, it pushes back. Um, you know, it doesn't fall over right away. And so, yeah. finding wa- ways to do that as a church. Uh, lovingly uh you know care you know caringly uh there's just there there's something there that uh that in particular men see and they see when it's being faked 
And, and one of the things the statistics tell us anyway is that when women come into churches, they may or may not bring uh, their husbands along with them. They typically don't. Uh, they may or may not bring their children along with them. But when men come to faith, uh, they typically do bring their women and children with them. Sorry, I probably didn't say that in the most PC way possible. Uh, <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but, uh, but, but just statistically, like, you know, uh, you, you, would, you, you wouldn't just win the men into your churches if you spoke in a way or if you, you acted in such families. a way. Right, right, right. The, you, the, you get more than just the men. Like, it, it's, yeah. it's not just an issue of having more men in churches, uh, but, but striking something more deeply within men uh, actually does something to the culture in general uh, and draws people in general. Um, mm. So I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in that. You know, I think there are many practical ways we could, we could try to work this out in our churches, but uh, yeah. it's going to take, take a lot more training of our laity and the way that we position our leadership and the kinds of things that we preach about, all of those things. Yeah. Oh, I, remembering what I was going to say before on this topic um, regarding kindness, the, uh, the only thing that we should hate is sin and evil. And our culture has basically inverted the classical wisdom, which says that reason should be in control of the passions and instead says passion should control reason, um, which is satanic. It's a satanic inversion and it leads to death, physical and spiritual and and any, every kind of death, it leads to death. Um, our culture also encourages infanticide and sodomy and, and vainglory. I mean, anything you think of, right? (laughs) So there's a lot to, to hate and to, to feel indignant towards and, righteously so now that doesn't mean hating people who uh fall into who are supporting this culture or living in sin i mean we're all living in sin right so you can you can be kind and loving while also being unwavering in your hatred for evil and for sin and uh being strong and holding against that um is appealing and it, it stands for truth and it, and it says something to people, I think. Joseph, uh, praise God for your story. Praise God for uh, his work in your life. Uh, it's amazing to hear about. Um, I, I'm certainly going to continue to reflect on this conversation as we think about um, yes. my own ministry, our, our podcast, uh, and, and our own lives here. So I really appreciate what you've been able to do with us here. Uh, You've been listening to Devices and Desires. I'm Brian. We've got Andrew and Joseph with us here. And uh, we're calling out the insane demons of our society and blowing (laughs) them to smithereens. Uh, So I'm I'm glad you could join us for this. Uh, If you like it, would you please share it on uh, whatever platform you have or leave a comment? Both of those things are the best two things you can do to get the word out there for what we're doing. Uh, Let us know what you think. Uh, if you like the music, uh, check us out for further stuff on there. James Kibbe, who does our music, has a lot more of that as well. Thanks for joining us. We've been talking about Jordan Peterson on devices and desires. We are finding a sacred world in a secular age. Peace, my friends. Peace.